0: Romans chapter 12, Romans chapter 12 is our passage this morning, we're going to look at the first eight verses, Uh, we're back in the book of Romans, we took a little bit of break because of Easter and spring break and celebrate the resurrection of Christ and now we're uh, returning where we left off, uh, here in the beginning of chapter 12, over our spring break uh, we took off for Florida to go to uh, Legoland, we went back, uh, I should say. Uh, This past summer we went, and while we were there uh, for the day, it it rained some. And by rain, I mean it's like Florida rain, where it rains for like an hour or so, and then it's gone, and you're just stuck with the humidity. But it rained some, and some of the rides were shut down, and so that meant we were eligible to get like a free ticket pass uh, to come back again. You just had to use it within a year of when it was issued. And so we went back this spring break, and they had a new section uh, in Legoland uh, based on the Legoland um, movie, and uh, one of the they had two, there weren't that many more rides there, but there were at least two or three that were there. And one that we got on was called the, the Battle of Brickburg. Okay, I know that means nothing to you. The Battle of Brickburg. It was a, it's a water ride. Okay, and we what we kind of saw it from a distance. We knew it was a water ride in the sense of you're in a boat. And it's like a lazy river, and you think looks like you get to shoot stuff with the water gun. Okay, that's all we knew. So we got in line, and we waited, and we waited, and we waited, and we waited and waited. And how the the line was that you couldn't see the ride. You were just stuck in this line. You couldn't see people coming in, uh, coming off this thing, which was our mistake. Okay, we're waiting. And we're waiting. waiting situated, and we get our, we get like a little bench seat that four of us could sit on, we're moving into position there, and I noticed that these seats are really wet, and, but they weren't wet wet when people were sitting, I was like, this is really, that's interesting, that's, that's not going to be a big deal, I didn't think about it, just saw that it was wet, get situated, and we get our guns, and you got these glorified squirt guns, you can shoot, and, and um, so we get going, and like, again, we're in this boat, and you just kind of lazily, floating through this little river trail, so to speak. I swear, like, it had to be, like, 10 yards into this thing. We went through this. All of a sudden, we were just doused in water. We went through this mist waterfall kind of deal, and we were just soaked. I mean, like, soaked, soaked, like, soaked. You know, hair is wet. We just got out of the shower, soaked. Not like a light misting, ha, 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 but, like, you're soaked, okay? And you keep going, and you've got these water guns you can shoot, and you can shoot at little targets, but I didn't realize is that you've got people on the outside of the of the river that can shoot at you as well with their water guns. And stuff. It made me kinda of bitter. I was like, I'm gonna take these you know, we're getting as many people away as we can. And so we get through there and we just get off this ride, we're soaked, and we're like, I can't believe we wouldn't have done this if we know we'd be this soaked and luckily it was one of the few times that I've been grateful that we that it was Florida where it was sunny out. And we went to the restroom and I was grateful, too, for those hand dryers that are like hair dryers. I hate those things, but it was nice to have them there because Knox and I, would just kind of squatted down and tried to dry off. We didn't really dry off that well. But we were just soaked, and we commented, if we had known what it was we were getting into, we would not have done that ride. We just were not prepared for it at all. As we move into Romans chapter 12 here, uh, we need to be prepared for what Paul is, is about to address uh, to us, because he's going to get serious. It's it's going to be the, the rubber hitting the road regarding our faith, regarding everything that he's been talking to us about these eleven chapters. Uh, he's going to say, "This is the implication of this truth. This is the implication of the gospel of Christ, of your sin, of salvation, of the Holy Spirit, of God working. Uh, these are the implications of it." So, as you're able, let's stand together for the reading of God's word. Romans chapter 12, we'll read verses 1 through 8. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and, ple- holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. This is God's word. It's absolutely true and given to us in love. Would you pray with me? Father God, it is a weighty thing. To, to know you and to walk with you. We pray in these moments the meditation of our hearts would be pleasing to you. We ask in Christ's name, amen. Please be seated. Dr. David Martin Lloyd-Jones tells the story about a, a friend of his. And this friend of his had a, a dog, a small dog, a gray dog, a lot of energy, and every day they would go for a walk go walk uh, through this particular park, and they would go through the same path, the same way, the same environment the whole time, and each time, this dog would be, especially when they got to the park, would be tugging at that leash, you know, as to say, let me go, I really want to move and and go and and run wild here, and every day, they would walk on this leash, day after day, and finally, one day, uh, he said, okay, I'm going to risk it, okay, some of you have had these moments, okay. He says, I'm going to let this dog go and see what happens. I know him. He knows me. We've been doing this for a long time, and let's just see what happens. Sure enough, he unleashes him. You know what happens. That dog just takes off. I mean, he is just like a cannon, just gone. And the owner is just kind of sad. He's like, I I was hoping he wouldn't take off, but he did. And uh, he's like, well, I can't call him. That's not going to do any good. So he just keeps walking, walks the same path that he normally walks, uh, every time with this dog. And about ten minutes into the walk, he sees this gray blob coming straight for him. And it's his dog coming running straight back at him.
1: And who knows where he's been, who knows what he's
0: seen and how far he's gone or anything like that. But he just runs at him and he just kind of stops and turns around and just starts walking with his master. And Lloyd-Jones' point with that story is it's, it's such a picture of the, of the Christian life. It's a picture of, of, of returning voluntarily. That dog returning is as if to say, I know you're my master, I know you love me, I know you care for me. I'm coming back, and I want to be with you. I don't want to be with you with a leash, but I want to be with you now. And it's such a picture for us as, as Christians. Are we the, the, the willingness and the call to, to voluntarily, if you will, come to God. I bring this up because of that that first word that that Paul mentions here in this opening paragraph of Romans 12. He says, therefore. And any good Bible student knows to ask, what's the therefore, therefore? It's because of the first 11 chapters, if you will, the, the gospel that Paul has been articulating to us, telling us about our sin, telling us about Christ and his work and grace and God's providence and all the things that God does in our lives. And then he says, therefore, because of that, will you come to him? Will you come back to him, if you will? After receiving this knowledge and knowing this truth, will you come back voluntarily, if you will, to serve him, to, to know him, to, to live out all these implications? And, of course, the, the, the rich metaphor that, that Paul gives us here is the idea of being a living sacrifice. The implications of the gospel for us is this call to be a living sacrifice. And it's that, that metaphor, if you will, I want us to, to camp out on and, and dig into with this passage. Here are the, the three things I want to talk about. I want to talk about the call of a living sacrifice. I want to talk about the, the mentality of a living sacrifice. And then finally, the, the practice of a living sacrifice. So the call, mentality, and practice— the living sacrifice the call of the living sacrifice is obvious at verse one, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice holy and pleasing to God, which is in a sense is, is Paul's way of saying, you know there's sacrifice in the New Testament. There is a sacrificial system in the New Testament. We know the sacrificial of the Old Testament was about forgiveness, it was about blood, It was about making atonement. The sacrificial system of the, of the New Testament relates to offering of ourselves, offering of our lives, offering of our beings to God, and Paul would say, in light of the mercies of God shown to us. And it's a helpful metaphor for us. When we think about the, the rich, it brings with it the rich temple language of, of the Old Testament and the sacrifices uh, that were presented there and what those sacrifices meant and what you were communicating when you participated in those things. Uh, from your Sunday school time, you may remember uh, the sin offerings. The sin offerings of the Old Testament. And those are exactly what you think they are. They're, they're offerings uh, of, of blood, basically, for what? For forgiveness, uh, for, for grace, for God's, God's mercy, for reconciliation. To God put the, the punishment fall on, on this sacrifice and not on me. And, of course, it, it pointed forward to the ultimate blood sacrifice, the ultimate sin offering of Christ, which we celebrated uh, weeks ago. But there's another sacrifice, if you will, in the Old Testament called a whole burnt offering. And this is where you took something a, a valuable animal, something that was without defect, something that was, it was, it was the, the mint of the collection, maybe you might say. It wasn't one of your it, was, it, it wasn't a sacrifice out of your abundance, it wasn't a sacrifice. Um, because you had extra, but it was something of a rich value to you, and you, you offered it to God. It was, it was uh, burnt before him. It was fully consecrated to him, and it meant to communicate how much you are at God's disposal, that, God, I'm, I'm living for you. Everything I, I have is, is directed at you. I'm giving it to you because of your love and because of your grace. It's meant total consecration uh, to God. And so to be a living sacrifice is to be at God's full disposal. Being living sacrifice, sacrifice meaning killing and living, you see that the paradox there, that we are live sacrifices, that, that all the time we are, are giving ourselves to God, we're willing to do what He has for us, willing to obey Him, willing to, to follow through in the things that He may call us to be or to do, even if it's inconvenient, even if it's awkward, we're willing to, to do that for Him. And at the same time, there's a sense in which we're willing to receive from him anything that he would bring into our lives with a sense of thankfulness, a sense of dependence upon him. This living sacrifice, it's not something new in the New Testament, if you will. Jesus talks about it. He may not use the words living sacrifice, but he talks about it like this. This will sound true to you in Luke chapter 9. If anyone wants to become my follower, he must deny himself and take up the cross daily and follow me. Whoever wants to save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life because of me will save it. Jesus he gives it, uses living sacrifice terminology in the sense of take up your cross and follow me. You're, you're, a sense of denying yourself and to follow him. What's the motivation? That the motivation relates to the therefore. The, the motivation is based upon the, the, the mercies of God, what God has done for you. And the lie of that truth, you're saying, I want to I live in a way that, that pleases him. My motivation is to please him. Look what he's done. Look what he's given me. He didn't have to send his son. He didn't have to forgive me of my sins. He didn't have to do any of that. Yet he voluntarily laid down his life for me. How much more so should I lay down my life for him because it would please him, it would bring him uh, glory. There's an illustration I, I heard that goes like this. Imagine a, a father and a son. And this father is teaching his son how to play baseball. He's teaching him particularly batting technique. And so they, they work all the time in the afternoons how to hit the ball, how to hit a, a pop fly, how to hit a, a grounder, how to control all that's related to, to batting. Just working, working, working. And this son knows that his father loves him. This father is so proud of this son, he's so excited for him, just loves him, all that he's doing. If that son got in that batter's uh, box on Saturday or Wednesday night or whenever they play, and he struck out or he had a weak grounder to the shortstop and got out, he, that son knows that my father loves me unconditional, that he's so proud of me that I'm, I'm always acceptable to him. The son knows that. And so when that son gets into that, that batter's box, there's a sense in which, yeah, I want to hit a home run, not to, 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 make my, not to, to, to get something from my father, so to speak, but to, to give to him something that's pleasing to him, that, that would make him happy. I want to hit well, or I want to hit a, get a run batted in. I want to do well in that, in that game to please him, because I know how much he loves me. I know how much he, he's invested in me and poured into me to, to teach me how to do this well. There's a sense in which that's how we live the Christian life. That, that God, you love me so richly, so perfectly, so unconditionally, that, that it was just by your mercies and your, your grace that you've, you've, you've pulled me out of, of the darkness and the pit and the sin and all that was just gunk in my life. And you brought me to yourself. And because of that truth, I want to please you. I want to be this living sacrifice to please you, to serve you so, so we, we hear that, we, we know um, intuitively that, that the truth of that, but we struggle with that motivation. And to simply take a moment and reflect upon the cross. I mean, when was the last time you took a, just a, a moment of silence, so to speak, in your living room, it was quiet, you opened up the word, you thought about the cross, you thought about Christ, you thought about his sacrifice for you meditate upon that you you let the reality of that sink in and it's going to move you to want to serve him to, to be that living sacrifice because of what he has done for you that's the call of a living sacrifice Paul moves on there's so much in this passage but I want to think about for a moment the mentality of a living sacrifice what's the mentality if you will of a living sacrifice let me set it up like this in the spring of 2014, HGTV uh, was filming a new series. And the series was called Flip It Forward. And it starred it was going to star the, the Brenham brothers, their, their twin brothers. And uh, they were going to get these houses, they were going to flip them, they were going to do them up, and then they were going to uh, be uh, given, I'm not sure how they were given, but before these families, uh, it was kind of their little dream home. If you've ever seen uh, Extreme Makeover, of some of the, the background and the news of these, these Brenham brothers and, and who they were. And there was just this social media pushback. They were saying that they're anti-gay, they're, they're anti-choice, and how dare you have them on as, as your show and, and do all these things. And so H.D.D. said, right, let's just forget it, let's cancel it, and let's move on. Well, the brothers responded like this, and this is part of their response. They wrote, the, the, the first and last thought on our minds as we begin and end each day is have we shine Christ's light today? Our faith is the fundamental calling in our lives, and the centerpiece of who we are. We are saddened to hear HGTV's decision. With all the gratuitous uh, things that can be seen and heard on television today, you would think that they would be room for two twin brothers who are faithful to their families, committed to biblical principles, and dedicated professionals. And this is the last line there. If our faith costs us a television show, then so be it. These brothers get it. If our faith costs us a television show, so be it. They, I bring this up because they get what Paul is, is getting to, particularly when we look at verse 2. He writes, Do not be conformed to this present world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may test and approve what is the will of God which is to say, as Christians, that we are discerning. There's a sense in which we need to be rejecting that which is worldly, that which is, comes, uh, contradicts our faith, that which contradicts the Scriptures, that which contradicts God's will and God's ethics, that we are transforming our mind, that, that we are renewing our mind in His image in a way that brings Him glory and honor. We are transforming our lives into the, the pattern of Christ us. That's what those brothers were doing. They're saying, I I, I see the values of this world. That's not our values. And because we embrace those values, that this is what happens, and and so be it. We are people. We're committed to having our minds transformed after Him. And so we give thought to how we do politics, how we do race, and how we do marriage, and how we do our sexuality, and and how the list could go on and on and on. And we're seeking to, to transform those things our thoughts and our minds were renewed in the image and glory of God. This is not new instruction to us. It's, it's, it's scattered throughout the scriptures. For example, Moses and Leviticus, uh, we see this. God saying to them, you must not do as they do in the land of Canaan, where I am bringing you. Do not follow their practices. You must obey my laws. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus gets at the same thing. He's talking about prayer and false devotion, the Pharisees and this... Pagan activity around them, and he says to them, "Do not be like them." There's always this constant refrain in the scriptures: not to be worldly, but to have our lives transformed and renewed after the image of God. And so the takeaway is obvious, isn't it? Are you are you willing to change your mind? Are you willing to have your mind transformed? Are you willing to have your life transformed in a way that reflects? God's values, God's truth, God's ethics, God's glory. Are you willing to have those things be changed in you? That's the mentality of a living sacrifice. That's how we think as believers, opportunities to renew ourselves and to change our thinking. And again, the the powerful motivation goes back to what? It goes back to the cross. It goes back to chapters 1 through 11. Therefore, in light of this, in light of God's rich mercy towards you, Be transformed. Be changed. The last thing regarding living sacrifices is the practice of a living sacrifice, what I'm calling the practice of a living sacrifice. And this is where Paul encourages us to use what? To use our spiritual gifts. One of Paul's favorite metaphors to describe the church is the body. He uses that, 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 that image of the body to describe the church particularly in the sense that the body has, just as the body has all these different parts, fingers and toes and eyes and arms and legs, all that kind of stuff, and the body needs each one of those things to function and to be healthy to be prosperous, so to speak, and be doing what it's supposed to be doing. The eye goes out and the quality of life goes down. If you're unable to here, then there's, you're not as healthy as you could be. And so here is Paul saying that you are like a body, that the church is the body of Christ and it's like our bodies, that each part has a function. Each part has something to offer for the health and prosperity of the church, which leads him to say in verse 6, we have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. What's the teaching? Each one of us, because of our association with Christ, our identity in Christ, our relationship to Christ, our belief in Christ, because we belong to him, we have something to offer. You have something to offer. You have a gift to offer Christ's body. That who you are and how God has gifted you, the church needs you. And by church, I mean us at this local address. If you're not using your gift, then we are not as healthy of a body as we could be. We're like a body that's that's missing a finger or a toe or or can't hear fully or cannot see or limps. Because of your gifting, is is that important, Is that needed in the body of Christ. Think about it like this. In Ephesians chapter 2, Paul says uh, this. He says, we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. We, the church, are God's workmanship. And he's prepared us. He's given us gifts. He's given us skills and abilities and backgrounds and, and personalities for the glory of his church. Are you using your gifts? Do you know what your gifts are? The call is to be a living sacrifice. And the practice of a living sacrifice is to use our gifts for him. How do you discover your gifts? That Paul listens list lists a variety of gifts there. I think there's maybe half a dozen there. He listed in other places like Corinthians. I'm not going to go through the, the list and define the list of, of each gift on that, but simply ask the question, how do you discover your gift? How do you know what it is and how are you supposed to put it into practice? Let me offer three things and then we'll close in prayer. The first is this self-examination. Ask yourself some questions. What am I good at? Uh, what do I enjoy doing. doing what do you enjoy doing uh, what kind of ministry is attractive to you what problems do you notice what what kind of issues do you or people do you gravitate towards you think about I think about the poor and I, and I want to do something to, to meet that I, I see that I want to do something to meet that need or I see stuff that's just so disorganized and I want to come in and, and help organize events or other activities in the church, or I want to teach. I, I feel like I just want to be able to communicate truth about God's word and help people to to mature and to, and to grow. I think about the loss that are around us, and I think, well, how can I do something? How can the church be doing something? The, the things that you at the point is the things that you're seeing, the, the needs that you're seeing. Those could be indicators of where your gift lies because you're sensitive to those things god has probably enabled you and gifted you to to meet and move towards those areas of concern the second thing is this try something do something there's a book on my shelf that's about god's will and discovering god's will and the gist of it is do something you, you know you you're, You may be gifted in a certain area, but it doesn't mean that you've you've got to mature. You've got to to learn to develop that gift. So try something. Try helping with the Sunday school. Try helping planning something. Try helping to to teach something. Try helping to organize something. Try uh, try giving to compassion or the the blessing bags or other opportunities. Just go in and do something. See what happens. The third thing is is this, is to use it. Once you figure it out, once you understand what you're good at, then do it. Serve the church. Serve other people. Use the gift that God has given you. That's where you're going to find life. There's something about discovering what you're good at and how you're, you're gifted and how God has gifted you and putting that into practice. And be able to to see the fruit of that and how you're blessing other people. Because when you do that, the church is in a healthier spot. Our gifts are not meant to sit on the shelf. They're not meant to, to gather dust. But they're meant to be picked up and to use. Paul has been talking about being a living sacrifice. He's urging us to be a living sacrifice. We are trusting in him following him, responding to this gospel of 11 chapters, saying, God, if that is true for me, if you've done that for me, I want to live a life that's pleasing to you. Let's pray and ask that he would show us more specifically what it looks like for us as this church to be a living sacrifice. Do you pray with me? Father God, this is a, a heavy thing. It has deep implications. It's a scary thing to be a living sacrifice. It's a scary thing to How can I use my gifts? It feels awkward. It feels uncertain. It feels like we're exposing ourselves. But Father God, you have loved us richly, perfectly. And Father God, we we ask that you would help us to be a church that is living like a sacrifice unto you. Being willing to follow, being willing to trust,
1: even when we don't know the
0: outcome. Give us the grace Fill us with your spirit towards this end, we ask in Christ's name. Amen.